3: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to
4: the family.
1: VTW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
5: A warmer from Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the beatson family podcast and... This is a podcast that is being brought to you by Yes on Prop 27 and DraftKings. Half the country already allows online sports betting for adults 21 years or older, and it's time to allow California fans to get on on the action. There's no good reason why so many people out there in places like New York, New Jersey, Chicago, Portland, Boston, list goes on and on, should be able to bet online, while Californians, they're stuck with the shady bookies. Prop 27 ensures California finally catches up, so vote yes on Prop 27 and Luckily enough, we're going to be going to the state of California in the second segment. Not going to be talking about this, but... Rather, we're going to be talking about the San Diego Padres versus LA Dodgers series and the Lionscape overall in baseball in the second segment with Danny Vietti. He does absolutely amazing work with CBS Sports. He also does a nice job with the Wake and Right podcast, which you are able to catch at wherever you find this podcast. So, we're going to be having a great chat with Danny in the second segment. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Friday. As we touch the ball, first things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able for those. Then First one is my Twitter timeline, at JNNR41. Keep in mind, letters Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way, it is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Do not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but because I do wind up having to do this podcast a little bit earlier with the Greg Peterson experience, now five days a week, we're going to brush up on the games that wound up going final while I was on the air on Wednesday, and then we're going to Take a look back at everything that we wound up getting on Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to an LA. Seems a little bit better.
0: The games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about.
5: Here is the rowdy recap. The Reds from Wednesday and Thursday took a pair from the Chicago Cubs. The game on Wednesday wound up landing 7-1 to with Adeside Sakino being able to hit a pair of bombs. His 6th and 7th home runs of the season. Drake Fraley is ninth as Mike Miner who's been a major disappointment this year, gave up one run in five and two-thirds innings on 10 hits as the Cubs. In that game, they go one of 10 with men in squaring position, and Javier Assad gives up four runs in five and a third innings, giving up two of those home runs along the way. And then in the game that we wound up seeing on Thursday, Reds get it done by a count of 4-3 as they did wind up having Luis Sessa. Lens a length and a relatively solid start. Two runs given up in 5-2 third settings. Buck Farmer, Alexis Diaz a combined 2 and a third innings with Diaz giving up a solo home run. Going deep for the Chicago Cubs, that would be Mr. C.A. Suzuki. Home run number 12 of the season before Ian Gabo comes in. He lends a squirrel setting him for the Cincinnati Reds. No home runs in this one aside from the one from Kyle Farmer, number 10 of the season. It comes off of Adrian Sampson, who gave up that one solo run over the course of six innings. He did sell, but the Cubs, they traded away a lot of bullpen pieces at the deadline, and that hurt them here. Mark Leiter Jr. gives up two runs while just two outs. Manuel Rodriguez gives up a run in the inning. You did have Brandon Hughes, Rowan Wick, and Michael Rucker combined for four outs between the three of them, but the Reds, they do wind up getting it done. For those of you guys who wind up having this one, thoughts and prayers to you. I thought the Washington Nationals had won it on Wednesday. They wound up giving up five runs in the ninth inning, 6-5. The St. Louis Cardinals got done on Wednesday. You wind up having Kyle Finnegan come out of the bullpen, give up five runs at two-thirds of an inning after Corey Abbott. Gives up just a solo run over the course of four and a third innings. Paul Goldschmidt, home run number 35 of the season, Jordan Montgomery. He lost just one run in six and two-thirds innings as well. He continues to be tremendous for this Cardinals team. Posting up right around buck fifty ERA since he's gotten to St. Louis, Giovanni Gagos. He did wind up giving up three runs in a third of an inning of his own as Luke Voigt. Home run number 19 of the season, but the rest of the bullpen did their part. But Washington, they came back on Thursday and they got it done 11-6 to of finalists. For Washington, Josiah Gray does wind up giving up a pair of bombs. Four runs in total, of course, of three in a third innings. I think he's now given up 36 home runs this season, as Yadier Molina gets both of them. Home runs number three and four of the season, but Adam Wainwright, he gave up four runs of his own over the course of five innings. The only home run was hit very late by the Washington Nationals, as it was Mr. Alex Cole who winds up getting home run number two of the season. That winds coming in the ninth inning off of James Nile who gave up four runs in that ninth inning, which man, was a lot of insurance and needed for the Washington Nationals. As He gave up two runs in one and a third innings. Andre Pellanti got an out, out of the bullpen while allowing a run, and Chris Rand brought outside the bullpen scoreless. But for Washington, their bullpen was solid. Jake McGee has been awful all season. He gave up two runs while getting just one out. But Kyle Finnegan, Andre Machado combined three scoreless innings. And then Mason Thompson, one and two thirds innings scoreless. And Carla Edwards Jr. gets the final two outs of the game. You do want to see the Kansas City Royals on Wednesday. Be able to get a 2-1 to win as for the Cleveland Guardians. It's been a offense that's been a little bit up and down. We're going to be talking about this with Danny Vietti in the second segment, but he went 2-5 with men in scoring position, but just couldn't generate a lot of power. Not a bad start here from young Cody Morris. for scoreless settings. Sam Entages, Trevor Steven, both on the scoreless setting as Angel De Los Santos, Brian Shaw, James Karinczak, all wind up getting two outs out of the bullpen, but then Emmanuel Classe blows it in the ninth inning, giving up a pair of runs. That's very uncharacteristic of him as the Royals won that game while Cohen just one of ten with Ben in scoring position behind Zach Granke, giving up one run in six settings. Colin Sider, Dylan Coleman, Scott Barlow, they all wind up landing a scoreless setting. And then in extras, you did wind up seeing the Houston Astros, who've been good straight up, but not necessarily on the run line, get it done four to three as Cole Reagan, three scoreless settings, but it was. Mr. Jonathan Hernandez, who wound up giving up the run in the 10th inning that wanted to costing them. And for the Houston Astros, you wound up having Christian Javier give up three runs in his start and five to third innings, but only one of which was earned. He did wind up allowing a deep ball along the way to Nate Lowe for his 24th home run season, but the bullpen from there. They wound up being able to go four and two-thirds innings scoreless. And then on Thursday, we do also wind up seeing the Milwaukee Brewers and the San Francisco Giants wind up playing a Paris. The Giants, they wind up losing game one by a count of two to one. Corbin Burns had allowed five plus runs in each of his previous three starts much better in this one as he winds up going out there and he gives up just one run over the course of eight innings. Fourteen punch-outs to seven Williams. He also winds up lending his scoreless inning for the Milwaukee Brewers. Not a lot of power generated in this one as Scott Alexander winds up serving as the opener. And then Jacob June is from there. Two runs surrendered over the course of six innings. Tyler Rogers he's scoreless inning, but not a lot doing for the Brewers, but they do wind up getting it done. Brewers from there in game two. They do wind up taking down the San Francisco Giants. This is going into the eighth inning as I wind up doing this, but you wind up having another opener for Sean Hegelet. Hopefully, I'm saying that correctly for the San Francisco Giants. He got six strikeouts. He gave up just one run over the course of five innings. He's famous because he's the six foot eleven guy that pitches for the San Francisco Giants. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, they've been able to generate some runs via a nice error that was committed by the San Francisco Giants as Alex Young. He was the opener that gave up three runs, only one of which was earned. Evan Longoria wanted costing him, and for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's been a piecemeal game for them as Freddy Peralta only wound up going two innings in this one. I have to think that you wound up leaving due to an injury. That is the big thing that you want to note there. White Sox versus A's, that it's not going to be final by the time I wind up doing this. But the Miami Marlins, I had the DK and to pick up the under because they had scored... Three runs or fewer in 30 out of their last 33 games, and you just sometimes wind up going into funks. And Well, this is, of course, where the Miami Marlins wind up busting out the bats. Six of five, they wind up digging down the Philadelphia Phillies. Good news is I also had the money line, but for Sandy Alcantara gives up five runs three of which earned over the course of six innings for the Phillies. It was Phil, it was Nick Mateen of all guys that got the home run off of him. Home run number three of the season and. Kyle Gibson, not a good performance. Four runs surrendered over the course of five innings, including a pair of bombs. As for Miami, going deep, Lewin Diaz, home run number two of the season. Joey Wendell assert, David Robertson is the man that coughed this one up. Two runs, one of which was earned, given up in an inning. Hurt by a Reese Hoskins, fielding error in the ninth inning. As you had Sam Kroonrod. Brad Hand and Vinny Natoli all give you a scoreless inning. And then on the Miami side, you wind up having Dylan Floro complete the final two-inning scoreless, and Richard Blyer be able to deliver a scoreless inning as well. And then for the New York Yankees and the Minnesota Twins game, You wind up having Aaron Judge not be able to go deep in this one, but Miguel Enduar does wind up taking Sonny Gray deep for home run number one of the season as for Sonny Gray gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Not bad. This is a game that's going into the ninth inning with the Twins up 4-3. to Griffin Jacks, Squirrel Sang, and then Ode Lopez and Caleb Theobar give up a combined run in the eighth inning. But Carlos Correa starting to pick it up with his bat as well. 18th home run of the season for a Minnesota Twins team that Prior to this one, they had scored four runs or fewer in nine out of their last 10 road games. So perhaps that'll be able to get them going a little bit. And something that has been able to get you going a little bit if you're taking a look at baseball right now has been taking a look at more of these shorter favorites. I've been outlining how bad the large favorites have been and. Boy, oh boy, if you're right now laying these $3 favorites, if you were taking the Cardinals as big favorites in this most recent series against the Nationals or just favoring the Nationals in general, it's not been great for you the last few weeks as right now we have got favorites hitting at a rate of 60.5% overall for the season, 1,230 and 804 straight up. And home favorites, they've been a little bit better. 776 and 499 straight up. But among these home favorites, the 776 that have been able to win straight up, we have had 238 instances in which they have not covered the run line. And you do take a look at the last seven days and favorites, they're hanging at a 73.3% clip, but it feels like favorites of north of $3 are hitting significantly less than that. So something that you do want to note in over the last seven days, 44 unders and 41 overs. So we've seen a few more unders and overs, and we've really been seeing that all season. Long over the last 60 days, 51.4% of games have wound up going under the total 369 unders to 349 overs. And overall for the season, right around 51.7-ish percent has been the under rate: unders to 934 overs. So that's what we're seeing in major league baseball right now, and that's what we wound up getting in the MLB on Thursday. Now let's turn it forward to what we're going to be getting this weekend and in these playoff races with Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. We have that chat next right here on the Baseball opening Show. It's myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast.
7: Yeah, I,
8: yeah. Because you gotta think, Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the exactly. Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top not of it,
9: like that, see that,
6: ladies and gentlemen, please
2: welcome Sam Casella Point Game. I remember you came out my room crying, <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And he's, he's going to us about winning. Remember
10: what you I know? told you? I said, I said, OJ, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? didn't ain't it. <laughs>
6: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Welcome
5: back to the Buffy Las Vegas, the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Danny Vietti on the show. He's doing amazing work over there at cbs sports on top of that he does a podcast Viz on which you're able to catch wherever you find this podcast that'll be the wake and rake podcast he does that with former mlb pro will middlebrooks and to be able to follow all of danny's work on twitter that is at danny vietti his first and last name last name is both v-i-e-t-t-i-n to be able to follow his podcast as well at wake and rake pod altogether. together danny always a pleasure my friend thank you
11: hey pleasure's all mine great thanks
5: It has been incredible to take a look at what we've been able to get this baseball season as it feels like things have just been up and down. And I just take a look at this race out in the NL East, and I think that it is going to be a great one that could wind up coming down to the series that we're going to be seeing in late September, early October between the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. I'm not sure how you wind up gauging this right now, but I've been noticing that there's been a lot of people on the New York Mets for the fact that they did wind up losing a few games to the Nationals and the Pittsburgh Pirates over the last seven days or so. But I think when it comes to this NL East race, all the credit in the world belongs to the Atlanta Braves, the way that they've been able to perform this season. Every single team winds up having a few funks, and I think that the Mets, they're doing just a fine job right now. But I take a look at the Atlanta Braves, and I think that they are quickly becoming the team to beat out in the National League because they just have darn near everything that you want from a team.
11: Yeah, I think at this point, if you're the Mets, obviously you want to win the division because there's more incentive to winning the division with the expanded playoff this year, you get that first round bye. With that being said, I think the Mets are better suited for a playoff run than the Braves are. I say that while also knowing that the Braves won the World Series last year. So certainly, both teams are capable of doing so. But when you look at the Mets, their starters in general typically pitch deeper in the ball games. The Mets don't have as many bridge relief pitchers in the middle innings as the Braves do. The Braves seem to be a little bit deeper in the bullpen. So that's something that the Braves have going their way that the Mets don't quite. You keep going back and forth. You look at the Braves back into the bullpen. Do you trust Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning? Seems like we had that conversation every year. In previous years, it was Jansen with the Dodgers. Now we're wondering, do we trust Jansen with the Braves as he's had a few hiccups since the All-Star break? Obviously, we trust Edwin Diaz, who's been the best closer in baseball this year with the Mets. We're fiddling through you know, what team is better, and, and we're splitting hairs at this point, right? Both teams are fantastic. Both teams are capable of winning a championship. But when I look at each team, you go just off talent and on paper, uh, you look at DeGrom and you look at Scherzer. And hypothetically, if these two teams faced off against one another in a playoff series and you're just looking on paper, you have to give the advantage to the New York Mets because those two pitchers, are arguably the two best pitchers in all of baseball. And so, again, if you're just looking on paper, you have to give the advantage to the Mets. And I think because their starters are, in general, capable of pitching deeper in the ball games, I like that in the postseason. And so even if they don't end up winning the National League East, that is the Mets, I think they're still set up for a deep, deep postseason run.
5: And as we both know, health is going to be so important. Being able to have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer out there fighting on all cylinders. In October, that is the priority for the New York Mets right now, and I'm sure that the Atlanta Braves, they want to do everything evenly possible to make sure guys like Spencer Strider and company, they're firing all cylinders in October as well because that is going to be deciding a lot of what we're going to be seeing in the postseason. As joined me on the podcast, we do have Danny Vietti and. Danny, a team that we've been talking about a lot this season is the Chicago White Sox. And wouldn't you know it, we've got Tony La Russa currently not with the team. And, well, the Chicago White Sox are playing some of their best baseball of the season. You go back to what we wound up seeing on Wednesday. Team was down 4-0 to going up against Luis Castillo. Looked like they were all but toast. They wound up coming back. They wind up pulling out a big, giant win. This is a Chicago White Sox team that i said on this podcast many times. As long as Tony La Russa is the manager of this team, they have no shot whatsoever of being able to make the playoffs. The moment they make that move, they put themselves in contention. Wouldn't you know it? I feel like it has all come into fruition right now. Not sure if because the move wound up happening so late that – they are going to be able to get back and be able to win the AL Central, but I took a look at this White Sox team, and this is a team that I absolutely do not want to face right
11: now. And they're in a really good position right now because Minnesota and Cleveland have a series coming up this weekend. So if those two teams can beat up on one another, the White Sox have a clear opportunity. They're about to face. Uh, they're facing the Mariners right now, and they just uh, they're facing the Oakland A's this upcoming weekend. We all know that the Oakland A's are obviously borderline a triple-A farm team at this point, right? So they have a series coming up with three winnable games against Oakland. Meanwhile, Minnesota and Cleveland are gonna beat up in each other regardless. So they have a big opportunity ahead. It seems like Chicago, each and every time we seem to count this team out, they, you know, they go three and four. They win three out of their next four. They 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 win three in a row. They're still eight, you know, an eight-nine game. Win streak away from really putting themselves in good position. And we haven't seen it from this team yet, and we're still waiting for them to find their groove. And frankly, I don't think there's enough time this season for this team to really find their way. But maybe all the stars align, they could find themselves in play opposition. And it's interesting. Obviously, you mentioned the absence of Tony LaRussa. I don't believe that a manager leaves and all of a sudden you completely change your game plan overnight. I don't think it's plausible. I don't think it's possible, but Chicago up until this point and before Tony La Russa left, one thing that was really missing from this offense, a really good offense is the long ball. They don't hit a lot of home runs. Well, since September, since the calendar changed over to September, they have eight home runs. That's tied for the second most home runs in the American League. So, Maybe they're starting to find their way at the plate a little bit. I still think they're the most talented team in the American League Central. It's really just between the Cleveland, Minnesota, and Chicago. One of those teams goes on a run here to, to end the season. I think it's their team, or it's their division to take. But neither of those three seem to really want to win the division that badly because neither of them seem to really be playing well right now. Cleveland's 4-6. and six over their last 10 Minnesota five and five likewise Chicago so one of these teams has to win a division maybe it'll just be by default at this point.
5: It's been so interesting to take a look at that division because with the Cleveland Guardians post all-star break they've been a bottom 10 offense in the big leagues they have not been cranking out the deep ball all season long but the pitching has been supreme with this team but we've been seeing some injuries happen with them. Zach Flesak, He winds up injuring, I believe it was his hand. He's currently on the injured list. Aaron Savali has been all sorts of banged up all season long. So as a result, they're having to go to the AAA farm system and they're having to give guys like, for instance, a Cody Morris a start, which you don't want that when you're in the month of September. And I do think that for the Cleveland Guardians – it's a case where they just need a little bit more offensive general to be able to get themselves to the finish line because Jose Ramirez has been carrying the seam all season long. He's not going to wind up winning the MVP, but I certainly think that he deserves to be top four, top five in terms of that voting with how much he's been able to do for the seam. And credit where credit is due, the team has been able to move the line. But I think that the Guardians' ultimate undoing might be something that we talk about a lot in our chats, just whether or not the pitching can stay healthy or not for them.
11: And yeah, this team's scrappy, right? I mean, that's a perfect... Label that we can place upon Cleveland, but at the same time, you, you got to be able to uh, have a little bit of talent, whether you're scrappy or not. And so, you know, guys like Josh Naylor, uh, Stephen Kwan, Miles Straw, um, they're very good role players. But obviously, you need some protection behind Jose Ramirez. We all know what the pitching that this team possesses, especially with that rotation with Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill. Um, I mean. It, they're a pitching factory, and they have been for years. The bullpen is just nasty. With Class A in the back end of that bullpen, you got Karen Shack doing his thing in the eighth inning. I believe in that eighth, ninth inning, they probably have the best combo and the best tandem between Karen Shack and Class A. I think they have the best tandem in that back end of the bullpen in the American League. But with that said, the offense just hasn't been consistent. It's really been a microcosm of what the American American League Central has been throughout this entire year. Uh neither, neither of those three lineups between Minnesota, Chicago, and Cleveland have been able to find any type of consistency. One thing that really derailed Cleveland this year was the absence of Fran Mil Reyes, who they wound up DFAing, and he wound up going to the Chicago Cubs, and now he's finally finding success. But he was hitting the Mendoza line just about. He was hitting the long ball, but he wasn't getting on base. I think they were really relying and hoping that he would provide that protection behind Jose Ramirez. Unfortunately, he wasn't healthy enough and he wasn't providing that protection. But that was huge for lineup depth. So this team scratches and claws. Obviously, it's good enough to win in American League Central Division. But obviously, with the postseason coming up, I think they're obviously behind the eight ball, especially when you're looking on paper.
5: I agree with you there. And it's just interesting to see what we're getting in the American League in general. Sandy Vietti does a great job over at CBS Sports, along with the and Rake Podcast. is joining me on the podcast because... When it comes to the American League, I think that it's very clear. The Houston Astros, they are that number one team, even with Yordan Alvarez deal with some injuries, dealing with some health concerns. I know that there wound up being a situation with fireworks and things of that nature, which weren't necessarily the world's greatest, but I mean, even still, the Astros, they've got a relatively solid offense. Pitching has been amazing with this team. It's very clear cut that they're the number one team, but we were talking about the Mariners having a little bit of a collapse against the Chicago White Sox and. I feel relatively bullish on them, and I don't know about you, but at this point, I don't know if the Yankees should even be the number two team in the American League until they totally wind up getting healthy. If they do wind up having all their guys firing at all cylinders, like getting Anthony Rizzo back for the playoffs, being able to get back Nestor Cortez, list goes on and on, I think that that would be massive for the New York Yankees. But right now with the New York Yankees, I just take a look at everyone their games, and if Aaron Judge is not going deep for him, and he has a chance to be able to do some just absolutely historic things, here in the final month of the season, it's a case where the Yankees can't wind up winning, even though the pitching for them has been relatively solid.
11: No, I couldn't agree more, and I'm glad you brought up this conversation because Brooks and I were just discussing this exact thing on one of our recent Wake and Wake podcasts. If you're a team in the American League right now, throughout the first half of the season, nobody wanted to face New York. Nobody wanted to face that team. They had the best ERA in baseball. And they had the best offense in baseball. They led Major League Baseball in home runs at the All-Star break. Since the All-Star break, their slugging percentage has gone down to around 400. If you take away Aaron Judge from that lineup, the lineup is basically, as as, as Will put it perfectly, they're just a bunch of Kyle Higashiokas uh, since the All-Star break. And that that's not going to get it done. So if you're Seattle, if you're Toronto, Tampa Bay, beginning of the season, you're saying no chance you want to match up with the Yankees in the postseason. But right now... I would rather face the Yankees rather than Seattle who's been one of the hot the hottest teams in baseball since the break especially since acquiring Luis Castillo. That rotation, Castillo, Gilbert, Robbie Ray, George Kirby, Marco Gonzalez, they put Chris Flexen in the bullpen. They're 50 and 1, I believe, when they have a lead going into the 8th inning. Seattle is a very dangerous team. Tampa Bay coming into yesterday Had won 17 of their last 22 games. I still think Tampa Bay, with all the injuries that have that they've endured over the season, that's going to be a lot to overcome. But Tyler Glasnow, he's starting a rehab assignment right now today with the Durham Bulls, Um, so we'll see what his availability is going to be come postseason time. But you look at the American League. I think the Yankees. You circle that team and say, yeah, they're beatable right now. You look at Houston, you might not think that. But when you are circling teams and you're looking at a postseason bracket. I think there are teams right now that are saying, give me New York. It's all about getting hot. And right now, New York is not even close to being hot.
5: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that the Mariners, even though they did wind up having that calamity that we wound up seeing on Wednesday, they're playing some very good baseball, picking up Luis Castillo. That has worked out well for them. Meanwhile, the acquisition of Frankie Montas for the New York Yankees has not worked out for for them. Yeah, hope that Harrison Bader is out there in the postseason for them because that could provide something defensively. But it's all said and done. As we were talking about, you cannot wind up having enough pitching, trading away a guy like Jordan Montgomery, even if it's Bader winds up helping out in the outfield, helping out in a defensive capacity. That, in my opinion, just does not wind up justifying that trade as well. So that is something that I think is going to be rather harmful moving forward for the yankees and danny just taking a look at the slate that we've got this weekend i know you wound up highlighting the series that we're going to be having between the two teams in the central the twins and the guardians is there any other big
11: series that you're taking a look at that really is catching your eye and has some big playoff implications Padres dodgers are always fun right i mean i always circle that game on the schedule. It hasn't wound up being quite as exciting as it was early on last year. Early on last year, it was power against power, right? It was the Padres' best lineup against the Dodgers' best lineup. Since then, Tatis is obviously injured and had the PED uh, suspension. Um, It seems like every single time the Dodgers and the Padres match up against one another, they're dealing with some type of injury. So Clayton Kershaw's on the injured list, or maybe the Padres' Um, have uh, Machado on the IL for whatever reason. But right now, it seems like both these teams are, for the most part, at full strength right now. So that's going to be an exciting series down there in San Diego. I think the Dodgers, at this point, have won seven, eight straight series or something like that against San Diego, dating back to last year. San Diego, if they want to have any chance at winning a title, they have to go through the Dodgers. And so at home against Los Angeles, they're going to be facing Julio Rios, On Friday night, it would be a huge confidence booster if they can prove to themselves, their fans, and the organization that they can be the top team in the National League West. They're big brothers to the North, so uh, Dodgers-Padres is going to be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it.
5: Oh, I am as well, and if the Padres can wind up getting things figured out, you hope that Brandon Drury is able to return to the fold after he wound up getting... Hit with that pitch by Dustin May last week. That would be massive for them, as the good news for them, the Milwaukee Brewers losing a pair against the Colorado Rockies. Puts them in much better position for the wild card. And, we always put ourselves in good position on this podcast whenever we have you on, Danny. You do absolutely amazing work over there at CBS Sports. On top of that, your podcast, The Wake and Rake Pod, it is top-notch as well So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and everything they've got going on in general.
11: Appreciate it, Greg. Yeah, when you're not listening to uh, this podcast here with Greg, head on over to Wake and Rake Podcast. We were breaking down some playoff predictions and uh, kind of going division by division and looking deeper into the wild card. So check us out and all the written work on cbssports.com.
5: Danny doing absolutely incredible work, and he and Will Middlebrooks, they do an amazing job with their podcast. You're able to you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, and Danny always delivers on this podcast as well, whenever he joins me. So, big thanks to Danny Vietti over there at CBS Sports for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Friday as we touch them all.
3: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. What's up? I'm John Wall.
6: And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year.
7: I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one concept. Yeah,
8: yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like You
2: see him in the Olympics, <laughs> he's going guard, and then on I'm top not of that.
9: like that, see that?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to point game. I remember you came out my room crying tears. <laughs> crying tears, I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning.
10: Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, oh, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs>
6: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
5: And we're back here with LV Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Vison Family Podcast, and it is always a pleasure to get our good friend Danny Vietti of CBS Sports along with the Wake and Rake podcast on. If you're looking for the Wake and Rake podcast, wherever you find this podcast, you're going to find that one. Danny, along with former MLB pro Will Middlebrooks, do a great job there. Danny, every single time he joins this show, brings some tremendous insights. Did so once again today. It's going to be a great playoff chase. And- He's going to be following it every step of the way. So, big thanks to Danny for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this M.O.B. Friday as we touch them
0: all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
5: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at gnet underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where... We go with the National League games first, then the American League games. Any the interleague games, and we've got one on the board that is going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's start with the matinee game out in Chicago. 951-952 on the board. San Francisco Giants at the face faceoff against the Chicago Cubs. Drew Smiley goes for the Cubs, and Carlos Rodan is going to be going for the Giants. Right now, I am seeing a total at DraftKings most places, Because of Wrigley Field, because of the win situation, they are going to hold off until the AM to hang a total on this game. But DraftKings finding this at an 8.5. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. Between minus 158 and minus 165 is the number on the Giants money line. Plus 140 to plus 148 is the number on the Chicago Cubs. Places do not have run lines up just because it is a circumstance where the total winds up dictating a lot of the run lines as well. But that said... Plus 135 or greater, won't take a shot on the Chicago Cubs, and when it comes to wind situation, looks like it's going to be blowing out in the neighborhood about 8 or so miles per hour, give or take, obviously, forecast can wind up shifting a little bit, but it looks like we're going to get a relatively solid amount of wind blowing out, but you do take a look at Drew Smiley, and in four out of his last five starts, he has given up two runs or fewer. Now, he got destroyed in his last start against the San Luis Cardinals, but I do think that he is going to be able to bounce back in this circumstance after he wound up having three earned runs allowed across 30 innings in the month of August, so he was able to do a rock-solid job on that front. Now, when it comes to Drew Smiley, not a guy that is getting a whole bunch of swings and misses this season. His strikeouts per nine rate down to right around seven and a half. He has been giving up 1.5 home runs per nine innings, but has been very good at home. 286 home area. Compared to a four forty five ERA on the road, despite the fact that he has been giving up the deep ball at Omen for Carlos Rodan. He has not been the same pitcher when he has been away from San Francisco. San Francisco, very pitcher friendly. Ballpark, 222 ERA as a result, 352 when he's on the road. Now he hasn't given up a lot of deep flies himself. Ten home runs in one hundred and fifty-seven and a third inning. So he's been rock solid on that front, getting a little bit over eleven strikeouts per nine innings, not necessarily walking a lot of guys, but post all star break, it has been A little bit touch and go. Much of this has been because he's not backed up by a great bullpen. He's not backed up by a lot of great defense. To say the least, as a result, five plus runs allowed in three starts Post all star break, most of these have not been his fault. As you do take a look at this Giants lineup, it's an interesting bunch that is coming off of a double dip in Milwaukee. So, it's a tire bullpen because, well, they wound up having to draw it out there. Alex Young for a start. Who He's a former starter but, I mean, he's now a bullpen piece for this team. He, John Brebbia, Camille Duvall, these guys have been solid but for the Giants, you get all that they're missing Buster Posey because without him this is now a team that is in the bottom 10 in terms of bullpen ERA. This season after last year. They were number one in terms of bullpen year, right? Now you're dealing with a bunch of tired arms. And then you do take a look at the lineup for the San Francisco Giants and Jock Peterson, 21 home runs. He's been able to lead the way as you do have quite a few guys that have been able to do a solid job of being to move the line as you've got Peterson hitting right around 265 with high watermark. But top of that, you've got guys like Wilmer Flores, Evan Longoria, Luis Gonzalez, all in that neighborhood, about a 238 to a 255. Therio Estrada has been able to give you double-digit amount of homers, hitting a 260. Wilmer Flores, 17 bombs, but it's really been a lot of balance. You don't have to have that one guy that is really able to take over a game for you. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, they are dealing with injuries to Patrick Wisdom. Couple with Wilson Contreras, both of these guys, 20-plus home runs this season, but Ian App, he's one deep 16 times, 350 on base. He does a solid job of being able to move the line. Nico Horner, when he's been out there, he's been able to about a 285. As He's been a little bit banged up himself and has been able to come back. as look solid. C.A. Suzuki, guys like this have been rock solid. And then when it comes to Cubs, their bullpen not necessarily trustworthy itself. David Robertson, Michael Gibbons, they get shipped off during the trade deadline, so... Now you're looking at guys like Michael Rucker, Eric Ullman, Brandon Hughes, and I like Hughes. He's been able to post up a sub-3 ERA, but not the same bullpen that we were seeing towards the beginning part of the season. I do think that Carlos Rodon... Going to be able to land a relatively okay start. But he hasn't been the same pitcher when he's been on the road. He's finally has been terrific at home. So, did wind up making the Cubs a plus 134 underdog. One to take that plus number. And if we wind up getting an 8.5, semi-total and a 9.5, wind is going to be blowing out both of these bullpens. Very far from trustworthy. So, looking at and over along with Cubs. 953, 954 on the board. It is the St. Louis Cardinals on the road facing off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ronci Contreras is going to be going for the Buccos. And Miles Michaelis goes for the Cardinals. Cardinals between minus 195 and minus 205 favorites. Between plus 175 and plus 180 is your number on Pittsburgh. Eight is the total. The over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. And I did wind up making my money line on this one, minus 192. But with regards to the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm willing to lay up to a minus 120. And right now I'm seeing it at a minus 115. So I'm going to look to a little bit of a lower price in this spot. And I'm going to be taking a look at that run line with Miles Michaelis. Has been a little bit more shaky on the road rather than at home. Overall for the season, Michaelis, been able to do a great job in terms of command as he's been given up in the neighborhood about 1.6 walks per nine innings. But you do take a look at him on the road. 441 ERA compared to a 223 home ERA. Giving up on the road about 1.2 home runs per nine innings. Never has been a swing and miss guy. But he has been able to limit opponents overall. Getting about a 225 off of And He's going up against the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup that... They've got Brian Reynolds, who's been able to do a nice job. He's been able to slug out 21 home runs. He's hitting a 255 in the past set. You've got Michael Chavis, Cabrian Ace, Ben Gamble, guys, in between about a 235 to a 241, but not necessarily a lot of bats of note. Kevin Newman has been an okay leadoff guy, but guys like Cal Mitchell, Topico Medicano, Jack Swisnitsky, Gregory Allen, these are guys starting at 2.15 or lower, so Michaelis catches a big break with regards to going up against this lineup. And for Rosie Contreras, I do like the way that he has been able to perform as a starter. Two runs are in four out of his last five starts. One up, getting a little bit of rest post-all-star break. He has come back and has been able to look very solid here for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 3.43 home area, 3.38 road area, so relatively equal home to road. Does wind up giving up the deep ball, 1.25 home runs, per nine innings, but swinging miss as tough as there, being able to get right around eight punch outs per nine innings. He has to go up against a Cardinals lineup, though, that even though they wound up having a little bit of a rough series against Washington Nationals, wasn't necessarily the lineup's fault. The pitching was not great as Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado combined 63 home runs this season with Goldschmidt, 415 on base, Aaron Otto is hitting a three hundred. Brendan Donovan has done a great job over the line, hitting nearly a three hundred and Corey Dickerson, Tommy Edmond, these guys do a solid job with between a three twenty to a three twenty-five on base. For both of them, Nolan Gorman has some multi-home run games. And for the Cardinals, has been a little bit tough in terms of the bullpen as they're currently dealing with a pair of injuries. Sapaki Naughton, along Genesis Cabrera. These are more of your long guys, but with Michaelis' good command, you really don't have to factor in the bullpen as much. Giovanni Gallegos, he's been able to do a relatively solid job this season, posting up a 3.33 ERA. Ryan Elsley has been trustworthy in the bullpen as well. Cardinals, they wind up having to dive into their bullpen quite a bit during their previous series against Washington Nationals, but I do think that Michael is going to be able to go out, give a a relatively solid start, and I do think that the Cardinals, they do wind up getting to Contreras, along with a bullpen for the Pittsburgh Pirates, that they've got one really nice long reliever, and Chase Young is posting up a sub-two ERA, but got a lot of guys that have question marks, Manny Bunuelos has been okay this season, but I do think that regression is going to be coming his way. Has not been a great season in general for guys like Juwan Ramirez, Robert Stevenson. These are castoffs offs that the team is signing. Just hoping for a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Miguel Yajur has been posting up north of an 80 or a. So, to is saying my toe a little bit over an 8, 8.1. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the over to go along with this Cardinals run line. 955-956 on the betting board. The New York Mets have thrown face off against the Miami Marlins. As Edward Cabrera is going to be going for the fish and get all to be determined. It's on the bump for the New York Yankees. For the Yankees, it is looking like we're going to be getting the namesake of this podcast, Mr. David Peterson, but... That is CBD at this point, and if we do end up getting Mr. Peterson going up against Cabrera, I did wind up saying the best, a minus 133 favorite and set my total at a 6.2 a six or less. I'd be taking a look at the over six fryer. I'd be taking a look at the under as got a Miami see team that they did rough for three runs in the third inning yesterday against the Philadelphia Phillies, but. Going into the game that we had on Thursday, they had scored three runs or fewer in 30 out of their last 33 games. You don't have a single guy in this lineup with more than seven home runs right now. That is healthy. You got so many guys that are hitting below a 225 as well. JJ Blade A. Luis Diaz, Gerard Encarnacion, Jacob Stallings, boy, it is not too terrific on that front end. For the Miami Marlins, it sounds like it's the world's worst bullpen. Steven Kurt has been able to provide a sub-3 ERA, Dylan Floro, Richard Blyer. These guys have been great. The team has pitching that could lead them to the postseason, and Edward Cabrera has been lights-out terrific for this Miami Marlins team ever since coming off the injured list. As a matter of fact, since coming off the injured list, this is a man that has made six starts. He has allowed one runner fewer in five of them. He wound up getting lit up in a start against the LA Dodgers. That's understandable. That's against the Dodgers, but I mean, past that Dodgers start. He has been terrific. One thing with him is that he does wind up giving up a little bit over four walks per nine innings, so that does compromise his ability to go deeper into games, but I mean, he's been good. He's going to be going up against the lineup of the New York Mets set. It's been a little bit hot and cold. They wound up being able to emerge towards back half of the series against Pittsburgh Pirates, and Pete Alonso, he did wind up leading the big leagues in terms of home runs on the road last season. Has got a lot of guys that move the line. Marcana, Alonso, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, hitting between about a 265 to a 272. Jeff McNeil has been able to above a 300. Starling Marte has been able to deliver some power in the back half of the season while hitting a 290. So these guys have been terrific, and the bridge to be able to get to Edwin Diaz and get those trumpets going has been better as Tommy Hunter. Adam Montavino posting up a sub-275 ERA. You've had Seth Lugo be able to pick it up as well post all-star break. So I do feel like the Mets should be a favorite if they do wind up trotting out there Mr. David Peterson, who he himself was talking about it with Edward Cabrera, his walks issues. Peterson, he has been giving up right around 3.8 walks per nine innings, but has done a good job keeping the ball in the yard, giving up right around 0.86 home runs per nine innings, and has been very good on the road. 283 road ERA compared to a 380 ERA at home, and on the road, opponents are just a 206 off of him. He's been able to do a good job of being able to get swings and misses as well. A little bit over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So, in the case of Peterson versus Edward Cabrera, we'll be making the mess. Minus 133 on the money line. Probably would not want to be taking a look at a run line because I think that this is going to be a really low scoring game. Six or less, looking end over six after going to be taking a shot on the under. We go 957. 958 on the board. The Washington Nationals hit the road. They're facing up against the Philadelphia Phillies. Noah Thor is going to be going for the Phillies. And Patrick Corbin, better known as the Turkey Tosser, goes for the Washington Nationals. This is a game that is strangely off the board and I do think that we're going to see the Patrick Corbin of, shall we say, the earlier part of the season. I did wind up making the Philadelphia Phillies minus 268 on the money line, minus 143 on the run line to where a nine or less. I'd be taking a look at the over nine and a half prior to the under. Patrick Corbin over his last three starts has actually been really good as over the course of those last three starts, he has given up two runs or fewer in every one of them. A combined five runs, four of which were earned. Now, he has still been giving up the deep ball. He has a lot of home run in each out of his last six starts, but certainly has been able to do a little bit of better job recently. But still, you take a look at his numbers overall for the season and especially on the road, and they're just grody. He's 2-10 on the road with a 7.95 ERA. He's allowing a home runs per nine rate of about 1.4 when he is on the road, actually closer to a 1.5 with opponents saying a 3.57 off of him. His walks per nine rate a little bit north of three overall for the season as well. And Noah Thornton, he's had his ups and downs this season. He has given up at least three runs and now three out of his last four starts. But I do think that he's going to be able to lock in against this lineup. He's been a little bit shaky at home thus far this season as When he was pitching in Los Angeles, he had a home ERA, that was a 2.96. here in Philadelphia. He's made four starts thus far, two-and-run record, but a 4.56 ERA when he has been pitching in Philly, only giving up one home run in 23 and two-thirds innings in his home starts with the Philadelphia Phillies, but strikeout numbers are way down with him. He's got 12 strikeouts in 23 and two-thirds innings in Philadelphia overall for the season. Thor, he has not been able to get swings and misses. He's in the neighborhood about 6.7 strikeouts per 9-9. Nine nine. So walks have not been there. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, still a relatively solid bullpen. They are having Brad Hand trotting out there just night in and night out. And he's been able to do his part for this team because they've been dealing with injuries to Corey Knebel, along with Sir Anthony Dominguez. David Robertson has been able to do a very solid job as well. So I do think that this is a Phillies bullpen that they are going to be able to do a solid job against a national team that... They've scored five plus runs in eight out of their last 10 games. I do think that there's going to be a regression when it comes to this. So I will say Joey Manessas has been a tremendous story for the Washington Nationals. He's been able to generate a home run every about 17, 18 at-bats. He's been hitting a 325. That has been very nice to see. You've got Luke Voigt. who's has been able to slug out 18 home runs overall this season. And then you've got Lane Thomas, Kibar Dewey, Cesar Hernandez, a little bit of a younger guy in Alex Call, all hitting between about a 245 to a 255. This is a scrappy bunch, and I do think that with the Phillies, flip side, you've still got Kyle Schwarber who's been able to slug out 36 home runs. He's been in a little bit of a funk recently, but he's been able to do nice work. Bryce Harper has not been able to go deep since he has come off of the injured list, but he has been able to hit for right around 300 since he's come back into the fold. Reese Hoskins, 25 plus home runs, and Bryson Sod has been a nice find for the Philadelphia Phillies as well. He had a rough start to the season with the bat, was able to play well in the field, but take a look at him over the last, we're going to call it 40 or so days, and he's been hitting nearly the 300 as well, so I do think better the down if going to be able to restore order, and I do think that it's a case of which Patrick Corbin is going to give up his runs, but I do think that the bullpen still going to be able to do a relatively solid job. We did wind up seeing the Nationals bullpen act up in the ninth inning over the last few days, but Erasmo Ramirez, Kyle Finnegan, these are guys that are veterans are posting up a sub-3-5 ERA along with Carl Edwards Jr. You've had Hunter Harvey be able to deliver some nice innings as well. Mason Thompson is someone I do like sub-1 ERA, someone that's able to come in and be able to fill multiple innings, but I do think that the Patrick Corbin of old is going to be rearing it's ugly head nine or less looking at an over nine and a half prior to the under with the Phillies one delay up to a minus 143 on the run line and minus 268 on the money line. 959, 960 on the board. It is the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on the Cincinnati and they're on to the road. They're going to be facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Jason Alexander is going to be going for the crew and Nick is on the bump for Cincinnati. is your total. Under is minus 120. The over is even with the Brewers. Anywhere between minus 140, minus 150 is your number. Between plus 130 and plus 135, the price on Cincinnati was willing to take plus 128 or greater with the Reds. I just can't trust in Jason Alexander and a Milwaukee Brewers team, which both find us a little bit more depleted today because they wound up having to play a double dip yesterday. Now the Reds, they do have to travel from Chicago, but they played nine innings of baseball rather than 18, so... That naturally is going to be able to give them just a little bit of an advantage. And with the Brewers, it has been a case where the bullpen has been up and down this season to say the least. Seven Williams, he's been able to do a solid job giving up just three earned runs over the course of his last 42 appearances. Brad Boxberg has been able to provide a sub-3 ERA, Peter Szerzelski. It's actually been halfway decent, but had Obi Milner, Brent Suter have their ups and downs this season. And when you do take a look at the lineup, three of guys with 25 plus home runs going into game two of that doubleheader. Hunter Renfro, Rowdy Tellez, William Adams and- with the Brewers. You don't necessarily have that one table setter for this team. Christian Yelich has really had to become their leadoff guy. He, Jace Peterson, Renfro, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Mike, but also they're in between about a 255-260 to and then past that, you do have someone like Colton Wong who's been able to move the line. Kessonira, since he's come back up to the big leagues, has been a little bit better, but it's been a little bit touch and go as the Brewers. They do rely a little bit too much on the deep ball. Flip side of that for the Cincinnati Reds is it's been a little bit of a top-heavy lineup, though. They have been able to find a way to be able to make it work down. Vince Solano is in that neighborhood of 300. Kyle Farmer, Jonathan India, TJ Friedel hitting between a 265 to 272. Power numbers aren't necessarily there. Kyle Farmer and home runs for the team, not necessarily too impressive. And I will say the bottom of the fold when you do wind up getting into guys like Jose Barrero, Austin Romine, Articide, Sakino. Offense winds are going to die a little bit on that front. But I will say this for the Cincinnati Reds as well. The bullpen, it still has a dead last ERA in the big leagues overall for the season. But post All-Star break, They've not been the worst bullpen in the big leagues, and not by a long shot. Guys like Ian Gugboa, a long Buck farmer. They've been a tad bit better. Now with Nick Lodolo, he's got some relatively ridiculous home-to-road splits as right now on the road, 675 year two fifty seventy 250 at home, but he's got just a 24-inning sample size. When he has been on the road, he has given up five home runs thus far this season on the road, but I do take a look at what Nick Lodolo was able to do in his last start in Milwaukee. Wasn't great, wasn't bad, wanted giving up three runs in four and two-thirds innings in Milwaukee. And overall, Nick Lodolo, ever since he wanted coming off of the injury list, he's had really one start in which he wound up allowing more than four runs, so he's been able to do a nice job holding down the four for the Cincinnati Reds team. I do think that Cincinnati going to be able to crank out enough offense against a guy in Jason Alexander that's getting right around 5 strikeouts per 9 innings. Alexander doesn't even do a great job in terms of command with getting a lack of strikeouts as he's been giving out 4 walks per 9 innings. Gives up a little bit over a home run per 9 innings. His ERA is a 5.03 and quite honestly I think that it should be worse than a 5.03. I do think that it's a good spot for the Cincinnati Reds to be able to get some offense going. I do buy saying my total at a 9.1. So looking at the over and looking at the plus price with the Reds. 961, 961. 62 on the board. It is the Colorado Rockies playing goes to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Davies is going to be going for the Snakes. And Edouard Marquez goes for the Colorado Rockies. Rockies between a minus 110 to a minus 115 favorite. You got between minus 105 and plus 105 on Arizona. 11 is your total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. Was one to lay up to a minus 117 with the Colorado Rockies. Very important to keep in mind. Home and road splits. With this Rockies team, because the Rockies are just deplorable on the road, I believe that they have the worst road record in the big leagues. Meanwhile, at home, the Colorado Rockies—they're 38 and 33. I'm not saying that they're lighting the world on fire, but you know what? At home, this is a pretty competent team. And for Irma Marquez, you do fear that the home and road splits are going to wind up creeping up upon him, as he's got a 6.09 home ERA compared to a 3.58 ERA on the road. And He's been giving up nearly two home runs for nine innings at home, 17 home runs at 78 and a third innings. That's not great with opponents opponent a at 308 off of him, but I think it's fair to say he's been a little bit unlucky at home this season. And take a look at his last five starts. He's posted up a 366 area in that time span. He has given up five home runs over the course of 32 innings, but Romar Marquez, ever since he wound up having that really bad start to the season, he's been able to shape up quite a bit. He has given up three runs or fewer, and now five out of his last six starts. He did wind up giving up two runs in his last start on the road against the Arizona Diamondbacks in six innings, so... That was a relatively good start for him. And for Zach Davies, he's been able to do a solid job himself. Not a guy that is going to go out there and get you a bunch of strikeouts. Nabored about seven strikeouts per nine innings. And I will say in his last start, he got relatively lucky against the Milwaukee Brewers that he wound up walking away with only one run surrendered in four and two-thirds innings, but by and large for Zach Davies, he's done a better job of being able to keep the ball in the yard ever since he came off the injured list overall for the season, giving up in the neighborhood about 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but has been able to do a good job of being able to tame that, giving up just five home runs over the course of his last seven starts, so he has shaped up on that front, he has given up three earned runs or fewer in each out of his previous six starts as well, typically going about five or so innings, so that does leave you to have to roll the dice on the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, which is not great Joe Mantapai, he's been able to provide right around a 3 ERA. Kyle Nelson overall for the season has been solid since coming off the injured list. He has had some command issues, but when you wind up getting into guys like Reyes Morata, who has a 4 ERA, that's not necessarily too terrific, but you trickle down even further. Kevin Inkle, Mark Belanson, Edwin you said if you wind up seeing him as he has been Sort of off and on with the team. Chris Savinski. These are guys that are posting up a 4.60 ERA or greater. And for the Colorado Rockies, they do rank in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA, as well as you do have a lot of guys that they just perform better at home rather than on the road. Alex Colme has been a big example of this, along with Lucas Gilbreth. But Gilbreth he's currently out of the full book for Colme. 286 home ERA, 635 road ERA. Daniel Bard over the last few years has had an ERA right around 2 points lower at home rather than on the road. So that has been something to take note of and with the Colorado Rockies just in general. They hit about 40 points better when they're at home rather than on the road and they just supply so much more power. The Rockies in the neighborhood about .6 home runs per game when they are on the road. Right around 1.1 to 1.15 home runs per game there at home, CJ Krohn. He's got 26 home runs this season at home. He has been able to slug out 19 of those home runs. got someone like Randall Gritchick hitting barely above 200 when he's on the road at home. That winds is getting heightened to well above a 300. So, got a lot of these Colorado Rockies vets being able to do their best work at home. I do think that Irmar Marquez is going to be able to shake off some of the road struggles. I do think that Zach Davies has been a little bit lucky on balls in play. I do think that that line is reverting a little bit, and you've got an Arizona Diamondback team that they themselves, I think, are going to be able to get to Irmar Marquez because you do have Christian Walker who's been able to slug out over 30 home runs this season. Diamondbacks still in the bottom eight in terms of batting average, but you've noticed guys being able to step up as Josh Ross is hitting at 275. Jake McCarthy, he's hitting darn near 290. You still have guys like a Geraldo Perdomo, Sergio Contra, guys like this, are hitting below 8220 But Dalton Varsho, he's now got 23 home runs. He's hitting at 245. And for Dalton Varsho, he's right now on one of the hottest runs under the radar of any player in baseball. This is a man that has seven home runs over the last 15 days at five bombs over the last seven. So that has been relatively impre- incredible to take a look at. So I'm going to be on the over in this spot. So my total a little bit north of 11 and with the Rockies, one to lay up to a minus 117. So looking Rockies and looking over. 963, 964 on the board. It is the LA Dodgers. They're on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. Mike Lavender is going to be going for the pods. And Dustin May goes for the Dodgers. Dodgers between minus 150 to minus 155. Favorites between plus 130 and plus 140. Your number on San Diego. 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8, over is minus 120. The under is 7. On the 8.5, under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 for the Dodgers. You're finding their run line right around about a plus 105, and I really do not want to take a shot there. I'm going to be taking a look to see if the Padres can get up to more around a plus 145. I certainly do anticipate money coming in on the LA Dodgers, so if I'm able to give more like a plus 145, see a 5-cent move because we wound up seeing the LA Dodgers in some spots open up as high as a minus 160 on, on a dime line, you should be able to wind up being able to get that to more around about a plus 145. That's where I would be looking with Mike Clevenger has been a year in which he's been very, very average. I wish I could put it any other way, but for Clevenger, he's coming off of injury and the numbers aren't bad. 3.96 3.96 ERA, 1.3 ohm runs per 9 innings, 2.9 walks per 9 innings, 7.7 strikeouts per 9. Nothing that you say he's complete trash, nothing to where you say he's completely terrific. 2.97 ERA at home, that makes sense because it is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there at Petco. He has been, though, along right around 1.8 ohm runs per 9 innings when he has been at home. I do think that... Been a little bit unlucky on that front. And for Mike Clevenger, he has had a couple of, shall we say, rocky starts recently, especially against the LA Dodgers. As, against the LA Dodgers in his last two starts, he's won to combined eight innings, giving up 10 runs, all of which were earned. So not necessarily a team that he wants to be going up against. Meanwhile, for Dustin May, he did wind up giving up six runs the last time he faced off against the San Diego Padres. And he's made three starts. Two of them wound up coming against the Miami Marlins where he wound up giving up one run. And the Miami Marlins are currently historically bad on offense. Now, Dustin May, When he was rehabbing at the minor league level, he was getting right around 13 strikeouts per nine innings overall this season between the Padres start and the two starts against the Miami Marlins four and a half walks per nine innings. He is getting a little bit over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. And I think that he's got really good stuff, but it's still really small sample size. He's probably not going to go much more than five innings with the Dodgers. They do have the leg up in terms of the bullpen. And it's really been the unsung heroes coming through for this bullpen. Alex Vesea, Evan Phillips, Throw in there Caleb Ferguson. These guys are posting up a sub-3 ERA. Meanwhile, Craig Kimbrell has been better recently. Don't have a lot of faith in him. Broussard or has just been injured all season long. Same with Blake trying And for the San Diego Padres. They're hoping that the recent better play of Josh Hader winds up continuing as, I mean, it was almighty bad a few weeks ago. Nabel Chrisman has been able to lend multiple innings. He's posting up a th- sub-3 ERA. Nick Martinez, Adrian Bonajon, they've been a relatively solid. And for the San Diego Padres, just been a case to where the offense has not necessarily been what they expected it to be at home. On the road, they're actually one of the better offenses in the National League at home, they just haven't been able to fire in all cylinders. They've got a tree of guys that have been able to provide north of 22 home runs this season, and Manny Machado, Brandon Drury, along with Juan Soto, though. Brandon Drury, he's been out the fold a little bit. He wound up getting hit in the head by a Dustin May pitch, ironically enough, and has not been seen since then. you got a lot of guys that have been able to hit in that neighborhood of, we're going to call it about a 240 to a 257 for this team. Jose Azucar, Jake Cronenworth. You've got Juan Soto, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Will Myers, Awesome Kim. So, these are guys that are able to move the line. And then, for the Dodgers, you just have all sorts of fearsome bad sets. You've got all these hitters hitting between 16 to 21 home runs this season. Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, Joey Gallo, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Max Muncie. So, you've got a whole bunch of power on this front. Will Smith, 350 on base. Trey Turner has been able to above a 300. Freddie Freeman, more like 325, in the Mookie Betts. 33 home runs, 350 on base. I think that he needs a consideration for MVP right now. I did, as a result, they wind up saying my total at 7.9. It's a ballpark that is very much pitcher friendly out there in San Diego. San Diego does a solid job with their pitching at home. The offense, it has not been able to come to the forefront and I do think that Clevenger is going to be able to win a competent start. I do think that both of these guys are going to be able to shake off the woes that they've had against the other side now that they know exactly what winds getting tattooed against the other team. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot and we'll with the San Diego Padres, need at least a plus 144 to take a shot. Once all said and done, I do anticipate this being a play on the Padres plus price in the AM, though. 965-966 on the board. The New York Yankees, they play us the Tampa Bay Rays. Drew Rasmussen is going to be going for the Rays. And one, Frankie Bontas is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. Not sure why, but we currently do not have numbers on this game. But I wind up having my handicap. Do mind up saying the Yankees a minus 116 favorite and a total to wear a 7.5 or less. I'll be taking a look at the over in 8 or higher to the under with Frankie Montas. He's got an ERA that hovers in the neighborhood of six in starts in which he has not made in the city of Oakland this season. It has been quite incredible to take a look at on the flip side, you do have Drew Rasmussen, who has been able to do a rock-solid job all season long for the race. He really gained attention when he wound up having that no hip bid. But he is also just thrown off a little bit in general in terms of his rotation because he last wound up pitching on Wednesday, August 31st. He was on paternity leave, so congratulations to him. And sometimes life just winds up providing a couple monkey wrenches, and when these guys wind up getting off of their rotations, this is a very good time to fade. And for Drew Rasmussen on top of that, he's been significantly better at home rather than on the road. Buck 97 home ERA, 359 road ERA. With also giving up right around .6 home runs per nine innings at home compared to a full home run on the road per nine innings as well. So that has been a little bit of a worry spot now. When it comes to the race, they've been able to do a masterful job with their bullpen. JT Chargois, Pete Fairbanks have come back. Both of these guys supplying sub-250 ERAs since their returns, Jason Adam. He has been tremendous. He is posting up a sub-2 ERA as well. Colin Pooch, Brooks, Rayleigh, both of these guys have been masterful for this team as well. But you do take a look at the New York Yankees. They and the Houston Astros have been jockeying 1-2 in terms of bullpen ERA all season long. Lucas Lukey has been able to do a solid job. Lou Trevino, since he wanted coming over from the Oakland A's, a sub-3 ERA out of him. You've got Clay Holmes, who's been a little bit up and down, but it seems like he's starting to find it again. Wandy Peralta has been solid. Greg Weisert has some of the best stuff that you're going to find. The problem with the Yankees has been the bats. Everyone other than Aaron Judge has been having a relatively tough time to be able to put bat to ball. And Aaron Judge actually has an outside shot at the Triple Crown. Forget the 55 home runs, which that's easier said than done, but he's got north of a 400 on base. He's got over a 300 batting average as well, and he's been able to steal a couple bags as well, so he has been tremendous for this bunch. Isaiah Kinnair-Falefa, Jose Trevino, these guys are in between about a 262, 270. DJ LeMay, when he was out there, you could tell that he was banged up. He's starting to get a little bit of rest and probably what is best. For at this point. And then you do take a look at the Tampa Bay race. You don't necessarily have a lot of power with regards to this team, as Isaac Paredes and Randy Rosarena both have between 18 and 19 home runs. And these are the only two guys that really have been able to supply a double digit bomb bombs all season long. You do have guys that move the line. Harold Ramirez, he's hitting a 325. Manuel Merco nearly a 300. Yandy Diaz, nearly a 400 on Mesa. So these guys have been able to do a rock solid job. And ever since they've come over, guys like Yu Chang, Jose Siri, hitting between about a 262, 263 five in a Rays uniform is solid after you know, Buster Rooney's with their former stop, but I do think that it's a circumstance in which Frankie Montas is going to be able to end a relatively solid start. He's been doing a bit of a better job recently as had his struggles when he has been away from Oakland, but still getting right around nine strikeouts per nine innings. I do feel like the start that he wound up having against the Boston Red Sox a few weeks ago, very impactful. He's he now allowed two runs or fewer in three out of his last five starts, including five scoreless with just one in a loud line signing me off against the Tampa Bay so made my money line minus one sixteen on the Yankees, seven and a half or less looking over eight or higher to the under. Nine sixty seven, nine sixty eight, eight on the board. It is the Baltimore Orioles. They play us the Boston Red Sox. Brian Bayo is going to be going for the Sox, and Austin Voth is going to be going for Baltimore. A half is your total over and under, both at minus one ten between minus one thirty and minus one forty. The number on Baltimore between plus one eighteen and plus one twenty eight is the price on Boston, and I'm willing to go up to a minus one fifty eight with the Orioles. Austin Voth is now stretched out, and he has been absolutely tremendous since he wanted coming over from the Washington Nationals. He had north of a ten ERA. When he was with the Washington Nationals this season, it looked like his career was pretty much over. Ever since he's gotten to Baltimore, it has been a sub-3 ERA, and he's been able to make some really nice starts here recently over the last five starts. He's been able to provide five-plus innings, and I believe every one of them, giving up two home runs and a 2.05 ERA along the way with hitting a buck 98 in that stretch. Awesome Volt has really been able to find it with Baltimore. Meanwhile, for Brian Baio, you knew that he wasn't as bad as his first few starts. A man that was able to get right around twelve strikeouts per nine innings at the minor league level. What you always fear with him is the command at the minor league level. He had a tough time with walks. He's been giving up four and a half walks per nine innings here at the major league level. But now three runs or fewer surrendered to each out of his last three starts. As is not a lot of home run in that time span and five walks over the course of his last three starts as well. Combined fifteen innings and not like he wanted facing off against the greatest competition. But Rangers, Minnesota Twins, Toronto Blue Jays, all at the very minimum respectable lineup. So I've been impressed by that. Problem is he's backed up by a bullpen that ranks dead last in the big leagues in terms of VRA post all-star break. Yes, guys like Ryan Brazier, Matt Barnes, Edward Bazzardo throwing their jerseys familiar. These are guys posting up north of a 5 VRA. Garrett Woodlock has been relatively trustworthy, but ever since Tanner Hawk wound up leaving the fold, has made things tough. John Schreiber has seen a little bit of regression, and for the Baltimore Orioles, they've regressed a little bit with their bullpen since losing Orde Lopez, who is really the heart and soul of it, but Keegan Akin, CNL Perez, Dylan Tate, Joey Cribio, Felix Batista, guys like this, are all posting up a sub-3-3 ERN. For the Orioles, very good balance with regards to this lineup. Anthony Santander has been your main masher, being able to provide 27 home runs, but you've got Ramon Udias along with us in the Says. Kid, both providing 15 home runs. Ryan Mountcastle, he struggled, hitting about a 200 post All Star break, but he saw his 21 home runs. Overall for the season, as overall for the campaign, he's hitting right around 245. And then you've got Hayes, along with Ryan McKenna, has been a little bit banged up. Santander, Adelie Rushman, Cedric Mullins, Ramon Udias, hitting between about a 249 to 260 with regards to the lineup. And for Boston, they've now got Travis Story back in the fold. He and Tommy Pham both hovering right around 16 home runs thus far this season. They need a little bit more Home run support for Rafael Devers because he has been incredible. Slugging at 25 home runs this season. He's been able to provide right around a 290 average. To Andrew Bogarts, he's been hitting a 315 as well. And then on top of that, you do have Christian Arroyo, Alex Verdugo, both hitting in that neighborhood about a 285. These guys have been solid. JD Martinez, post-alcer break, has been hitting in that neighborhood about a 200 as. They've got guys like Kike Hernandez, Franchi Cordero and company that when they wind up getting up at sorts of bottom the fold, you really can't trust in them, which is why I'm going to be riding with the Baltimore Orioles in this spot. Was willing to lay up to a minus 158 with them. Don't necessarily want the run line in this spot because I do think that this could be a game that winds coming down to one run because I do think that the Red Sox are going to be able to generate some offense themselves. So they wind up setting my total at 8.8. So looking over and I'm going to be taking a look at Baltimore. 969, 970 on the board. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays. On the road facing off against the Texas Rangers. Dane Dunning is going to look to Gitter Dunning for the Rangers. And Ross Stripling is on the bump for Toronto. Toronto. Between a minus 150 to a minus 160 favor, Between a plus 135 and a plus 140 is your number. With... Texas. And 8 is the total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. I wound up setting the Rangers as a plus 131 underdog. So I'm going to be willing to fire in on them. Dane Dunning has some very demonstrative home in the road splits I do like. He ends with Dane Dunning. And you wind up getting him on the road ever since he wound up moving to Texas prior to the start of the 2021 season. His ERA has been about two and a half points higher on The road rather than at home. At home, he saw it. 324 home ERA, giving up right around one home run per nine innings. Opponents are in at 223 off of him. He gets right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. In Texas, 562 road ERA. Not necessarily the home runs that are too bad. He gives up a little bit over a home run per nine innings, but opponents in it a little bit above a 300 off of him. This is a ballpark that is very much suited for him. And he is backed up by a Texas Rangers lineup that. You got a quadrant of guys that will be able to supply more than 20 home runs. Nate Low with 24, Corey Seager with 29, and then Adelis Garcia, Marcus Simeon both between 21 and 22, and with Simeon Garcia and Corey Seager all in between a 242 to 248. Nate as has been above a 300 Leody Tavares. He moves the line hitting a 285. Bubba Thompson has been able to provide a 333 on base. Not necessarily a ton of power in his bat though. He does wind up having a few home runs over the course of his right around 100 or so at-bats, but with the Texas Rangers, main trepidation that you are going to have with this team, the bullpen is. they have got a pair of guys in Brock Burke and Matt Moore that will be able to provide a sub-250 ERA and Jose Leclerc. It's been a little bit better recently, but John King has been a hot mess all season long. Jonathan Hernandez certainly has had his ups and downs. It has not been good for Dennis Santana since the beginning of the second half of the season. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, both are break this. has been a top-six team in terms of bullpen ERA. Yumi Garcia, David Phelps, Tim Meza, these are guys posting up a sub three. ERA. Adam Simber a little bit above a three. Anthony Bass has been a nice addition. I like the way that Jordan Romano has been able to close out games. And for Ross Stripling, he's been a steady guy. Probably a little bit lucky in terms of the balls in play not going against him so much as about eight strikeouts per nine innings. The walks have been supreme. 1.7 walks per nine innings. He has been Giving up in the fold of about 0.7 home runs per nine innings and has been consistent home to road as well. For us, tripling 303, ERA overall 324, ERA on the road, 284, ERA at home, giving up just two home runs over the course of 50 innings on the road. That is something that I do think is gonna be going upwards just a little bit. And he is backed up by a very good lineup of his own as Flagger Jr., as we all know. He's one of the best managers that you're going to find out there in the big league, sitting at 275. He has been able to slug out 27 home runs. But then on top of that, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, Boba Shett, Matt Chapman, all between 19 and 24 home runs really, other than Chapman, all these guys hit at least about a 260 as well, so they've done a great job being able to move the line on that front. All under Kirk, Lourdes Coriel, both of these gentlemen hit above a 290 as well, so I do think that you are going to see some fireworks in this game. I do think that Dane Dunning, though, he is going to be stunning Dunning in this spot. Was willing to take anything north of a plus 130 on the Rangers, so take a look at that plus price. Do you mind if saying my total at 8.2? I think a little bit of regression doing for stripling, and I do think that the Blue Jays still going to get there in terms of runs, so looking at the over and the Looking at the plus price with the Rangers nine seventy one nine seventy two. This is going to be the DK and H pick as it is the Cleveland Guardians. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Dylan, don't call him out. Bundy is going to be going for the Twins, and Cal Quantrill goes for the Cleveland Guardians. Even money to minus one hundred five is where you're finding the Guardians. I between minus one ten to minus one fifteen is your price on Minnesota. It is the total. The over and the under are both at minus one ten. Set my total at an eight point eight. I'm going to be taking a look at the over now with Cal Quantrill. He is a complete innings eater. This guy has been going six plus innings in pretty much all but three of his last 15 starts. He has been able to do a good job of being able to just stay out there, make sure that he's able to hold down the four for a bullpen that post all star break for the Cleveland Guardians is number one in the big leagues. It has been amazing to take a look at these guys firing all cylinders as James Karincheck and Emmanuel Clase has really been that eighth and ninth inning duo, but You take a look at the rest of these guys post-all-star break, and you've got Trevor Steven along with Aniel De Los Santos posting up a sub-2 ERA post-all-star break. You've been able to have some very good performances just throughout the entirety of the season from someone like Nick Sandlin as well. as He's got a sub one ERA post all-star break as well. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression in terms of that, but I do think that the big thing is Cal Quantrill, because he doesn't wind up getting a lot of swings and misses, and because he does wind up having some home and road splits, he is going to be had a little bit by this Minnesota Twins lineup as he's been posting up thus far this season a three eighty six road ERA compared to a three thirty four home ERA. He's actually been able to keep the ball in the yard on the road a little bit less than Homer, Run per nine innings. Meanwhile, one point two home runs per nine innings when he has been at home. But opponents, they do wind up hitting a two seventy seven off of him. For Minnesota, they've been dealing with injuries to Orey Polanco along with Byron Buxton, two of their best home run hitters. In this lineup, and for the Minnesota Twins, they're dealing with a very, very tired bullpen. As the Twins wound up having to play a double dip against the New York Yankees, they don't wind up getting a day of rest. But when it comes to lineup, we'll get on the bullpen in a second. They do have Nick Gordon, Carlos Correa, Jose Miranda, Gio Urshela on providing a 264 to a 274 average. If you got Correa alonso with Urshela, giving you a double-digit amount of homers. Jose Miranda has been able to do a solid job on that front as well. But for Minnesota, Yonderlin he has been incredible out the bullpen. He's got a sub-two ERA this season. He's able to throw 100 plus miles per hour. They do wind up getting back Giovanni Moore and someone that's able to give you multiple innings. He and Trevor McGill both posting up sub 3-5 ERAs, but I do have my issues with Dylan Buddy. It feels like he's been getting very lucky recently. As He's got a 434 ERA overall for the season. He has given up a grand total of 5 runs over the course of his last 5 starts. All... Starts in which he wanted going four and two thirds innings or five and a third innings, giving you up just one home run in that time span. And I will say this for him: he's been significantly better in Minnesota rather than on the road. Five twenty eight road area compared to a two eighty home area, but he is by far having the fewest strikeouts of his career. He's been posting up a little bit over six strikeouts per nine innings. Walks have been good, two walks per nine innings, but you got to suspect that the deep ball is going to be starting to hurt him just a little bit. It's just been a little bit unsustainable, what he's been able to do in general. And if you got a Cleveland Guardians team that they've hit over 60% of their home runs on the road this season, You've got Jose Ramirez, who's been able to go deep 26 times this season, over 100 RBI. He's not going to win the MVP, but he has been one of the most valuable players to his team in all of baseball, Andres Jimenez, along Josh Naylor. Both of these guys have been able to give you 15 home runs as well. And you just take a look at the way that these guys have been able to move the line. Naylor's been hitting right around about a 260, but then you've got Ramirez, who I mentioned earlier, Jimenez, Steven Kwan, Oscar Gonzalez, Amid Rosario, all hitting at least a 270 for this bunch. The Guardians, they do a good job of being able to scrap find the way to be able to get some offense. Both of these teams do a good job of being able to move the line. They're going up against a pair of pitcher contact guys. I do think that this lends itself for a very high-scoring game. DK and Nation pick going to be on the over. Set my total at an 8.8. And with the Guardians, I feel like they should be the slight favorite. I like Cal Quantro a little bit more than Bundy in this spot, and the Guardians' bullpen has been better as well. So, willing to take the Guardians here, set them as a minus-114 favorite, and the DK and Nation pick is on the over. 973-974 on the betting board. It is the Houston Astros. They play as the LA Angels. Michael Lorenzen is going to be going for the Angels, and let's pick up Gonzalez Jr. is going to be on the bump for the Asteros. The Asteros are a very sizable favorite anywhere between minus 215 and minus 235. And between plus 190 and plus 195, your number on Los Angeles. It is the total. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105 for the Angels. Needed at least a plus 223 to be able to take a shot. If you're looking at that Asteros run line, you're finding it pretty much minus 105 across the board. And I was willing to go up to a minus 115. With Kelly's Junior only has made a few starts this season, wanna be getting the season on the injured list, but has looked relatively solid since coming off of the injured list. He has given up just one home run over the course of his 21 and a two-thirds innings as he has made four starts, one of them being against the Angels on the road giving up two runs and five and two-thirds innings in that start now with the Angels. They do look a little bit revitalized in terms of their lineup they've had. Mike Trout and Shoy Otani be a very good one to do as you know, both of these gentlemen have been able to provide 32-plus home runs thus far this season, and both of these guys are hitting in that neighborhood about a 260 65 275, along with Luis Ranifo, who's been good at the top of the full. Taylor Ward, sitting at 260 for the year, but post-all-star break, he's been hitting barely above a 200. Has not been too terrific for the team, but I will say this. How about David Fletcher, the way that he's been able to pick things up? He's hitting at 270, but was really, really bad at the beginning of the season, hitting nearly a 300 over the last 30 days, so that has been helpful. Now, the difference between the top and the bottom is very big, as you've got Joe Adele, Andrew Velasquez, Max Stassi, when they wind up giving him some at-bats. Taylor Wade, Kurt Suzuki. These guys are only a 2.18 or lower, so that's a little bit of an issue. And I will say this for the LA Angels. A top-eight bullpen in terms of ERA since the beginning of the month of August. You've had some of these young guys be able to step up for them, like Jimmy Ergut, I'm a Barilla. Able to throw in there, Andrew Wants. These are guys that are posting up a sub-3-3 ERA. So I've been actually impressed by the Angels bullpen recently, but for the Houston Astros, you've got so many guys that have been just able to fire bullets all season long. They've been the top bullpen for much of the campaign. Seth Martinez, Brian Abreu, Ryan Stanek, Rafael Motero. These are guys that are giving you a sub-3 ERA whenever he's been out there, as he's currently a little bit banged up. Ryan Presley has been solid, but even when he's out, you just wind up finding a guy like a Phil Maton to be able to take his spot in. He's been able to do a good job in. For the Astros, they have a deal with some health issues for Jordan Alvarez. That's why he's had a little bit of a fall off here in the second half of the season. Still 31 home runs and a 390 on base, but certainly hasn't been himself post all survey, but you do have Alex Bregman who's been able to slug out 20 home runs. He's got a 370 on base and then Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve. 24 home runs apiece. Altuve sitting at 290 for this unit. You've had Yuli Gurriel be a little bit up and down to launch Jeremy Pena, but Pena still is able to give you 16 home runs as well and then when it comes to just what you're going to be able to get in general out of Michael Lorenzen. It's a big giant question mark and his rehab appearances. He wasn't getting a lot of strikeouts on that front as well. In the minor league rehab appearances that he did wind up making, he had a 7 ERA, and the last time he was on a big league mound, it was against this very Astros team where he wound up giving up 7 runs over the course of 3 innings on July 1st and gave up 3 bombs. So that is not necessarily too terrific overall The season. He's supposed to set up a 494 ERA, his strikeouts per 9 rate. That is hovering around 7. His walks per 9 rate is nearly 4. A little bit over a home run per 9 and it's not necessarily too much to be impressed by. First start off the injured list. I want absolutely no part of Michael Lorenzen. I do think that he gets lit up in quite a big way. So I did wind up saying tell at an 8.7. I think that it's going to be a long night for the LA Angels bullpen. So I'm going to be willing to take a shot on the overhand. i going to be looking at the Astros run line as well. 975, 976 on the Bangboard board. It is the Detroit Tigers at the Red off against the Kansas City Royals. Daniel Lynch is going to be going for the Royals, and Joey Wentz goes for the Tigers. The Tigers are finding themselves as between plus 110 and plus 120 underdogs. Between minus 125 and minus 130, the number on Kansas City, 8.5 is the C total over is minus 115, under minus 105. I did wind up saying a very rare north of 9 total in a Tigers game. Made my total a 9.2, so gonna be taking a look at the over with both of these pitchers. I don't have a lot of faith in them. You've got a guy in Joey Wentz that at the minor league level doesn't wind up getting a whole lot of swings in misses, made two starts at the big League level, gave up six runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings, and obviously I'm not going to take too much out of those two starts because they did wind up coming significantly earlier during the season, but take a look at what Wentz wound up doing at the minor league level. It's not like he is in necessarily too tremendous recent form if you take a look at his most recent starts, and overall this season while he was down there at the A level for Toledo. He up a 317 ERA, which it's not too bad, but 3.7 walks per nine innings. He got right around nine and a half strike cuts per nine innings, which that's relatively respectable, but has been sort of a touch-and-go guy and someone that I just don't think is going to be able to provide a lot of length in general at the minor league level. He made 14 appearances, 13 starts, only 53 and a third innings in that time span, and we have seen the Detroit Tigers bullpen really start to get tired. They're still in the top 10 in terms of ERA, but they've just been using so many of these guys like Jose Cicerno, Joey Menez, along with Andrew Chafin. Just a little bit too much. All these guys providing a sub 3-5 ERA, but they're starting to wear down And for the Cancer Royals. Worst bullpen ERA in the American League post. All-star break. They just have not been able to find their footing ever since Taylor Clark wound up going on the Andrew list so in Coleman, Scott Barlow, they provide a sub 3 ERA, but Amir Garrett has been a hot mess all season long. Carlos Hernandez, he's got north of a 7 ERA. They're looking at him. Anthony Machevich. he's been posting up right around a 5- Area, Lonce Collins Luke Weaver has been a big giant fasterone. And you do take a look at this Kansas City Royals lineup, and it's not necessarily overly impressive. You've been able to have a couple guys go deep for you, Salvador Perez, Bobby Witt Jr., but between 19 and 20 home runs this far this season, and you've been able to get a little bit of average out of Michael A. Taylor. He's been moving the line, hitting in that fold of about a 270, but having Vinny Pescantino out of the fold that's really hurt this team. You've got Bobby Wood Jr. along with a young guy in Nate Eden who have been both hitting right around a 245. And Michael Massey is hitting right around about a 255. But MJ Melendez, Cam Gallagher, Kyle Isabel, Nick Prado, these are guys hitting a 220 or lower. For the Detroit Tigers, it's just been all sorts of bad. They did wind up being able to have a whole bunch of home run power against the LA Angels, but they don't have a single guy with north of 12 home runs this season. They still have fewer home runs than the duo of Aaron Judge and Anthony Riff of this season has got Victor Reyes at about a two seventy and Harold Castro a two seventy five, but Tucker Barnard along with Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Ryan Kreidler Cody Clements, Akeel Badu, Spencer Torkelson, all these guys are in at 215 or lower. That is a big giant issue and for Daniel Lynch, it's been a case where he's been able to get some good swings and misses this season. Right around 8.6 strikeouts per nine innings, but for Lynch it's posting up a 547 home area compared to a 427 area on the road at home. He's been giving up in the neighborhood about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate has not been great at home and opponents are at 293 off of him. So I do think that we're going to get quite a bit of offense. Not bullish at all on he once along with this Detroit Tigers offense though. So I do want to sing Lynch more around about a minus 155 or so favor, which I recognize that he has been a little bit hot and cold in terms of his recent starts, but I do think that he's going to be able to go out against the Detroit Tigers after he allowed four runs in his previous start against them, and he's going to be able to provide a better effort. So, looking at the Royals on the money line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 977, 978 on the bank board. The Oakland A's today playoffs to the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Gilito goes for the Sox, and James caprilian goes for the Oakland A's. Seven and a half is the total under his for so 20, the over is even with the White Sox. And he- Between minus 145 and minus 155 is the number. And between plus 135 and plus 140, your price on Oakland. I did need at least a plus one fifty dude to take shot on Oakland. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Chicago White Sox, you're gonna be finding that right around about a plus one fifteen or so. I would rather take the minus one forty-five that I'm seeing before me because I do think that it's going to be a lower scoring game. I'm gonna be taking a look at the over because I did wind up saying my total at 7.8, but I don't think that this is gonna be by any means a game in which we wind up seeing this go way in that go over the total because with Lucas Giolito has been interesting to watch him thus far this season because he's actually been a little bit better when he's been on the road than at home. Posting up a 6.61 home ERA compared to a 3.91 ERA on the road when he has been on the road. He's been giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings at home. This winds up going to more like 1.7 home runs Per nine, opponents are hanging right around at 313 off of him at home compared to a 260 on the road. So he's been able to get swings and misses. He's been providing a little bit over 10 strikeouts per nine, and then except for James Caprillian. He was really finding himself in June into July. It has started to go down the toilet bowl since then, as he has allowed 13 runs over the course of his last two starts. Now, only 10 of them have been earned, but still, it has been a case with James Caprillion has just given up way too many walks. 4.3 walks per nine innings for a guy that doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. In the pocket, about 6.1, 6.2 strikeouts per nine innings. And he's been shockingly worse at home than he has been on the road. 587 home ERA compared to a 4 ERA on the road, 646 ERA over the course of his last five starts as well. Opponents overall, they ate right around 247 off of him, but he issues a free pass. He gives up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings as well, and when it comes to this White Sox lineup, you don't necessarily have a lot of firepower. They're going to be in Oakland where it's really hard to hit the deep ball to begin with as you've currently got a real quadrant of guys in Kevin Cheese, Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, Luis Robert who will be able to provide between 12 and 15 home runs this season, but but really, other than cheats, all these guys, and at least a 285. Eloy Jimenez, he's been able to hit about a 300 as well. Whenever Tim Anderson has been out there, that's been solid. But he's been away from the team for quite a while. But you still have Elvis Andrews ever since he wanted getting picked up. hitting a 285 for this team. Seve so of all at the catcher spot. has been solid as well. And for the Oakland A's, you've got one guy that has seen over 50 at bats this season that is hitting above a 240. That'd be Sean Murphy. As Murphy and Seth Brown have been able to provide a combined 39 home runs this season. But just got so many guys like Shea Lengolaris. Nate Allen, Sky Bolt, Radio Machine, all these guys earning a 220 or lower. It's been a hot mess. The Oakland A's dead last in the big leagues in terms of batting average at home, and they're dealing with a couple of injuries in the bullpen. Zach Jackson is currently out of the fold, so that means that you have to rely a little bit more on Sam Ball and A.J. Puck. A pair of guys have been terrific this season, but not having Danny Jimenez, that does mean that you wind up having to get into less than trustworthy guys like an awesome and company as well, so I do think that the White Sox should be able to get to James Caprillion in the spot with the diminished bullpen as well. I do like this total over. I do think that Lucas G. gives up a few runs as well. I do think that there is a high likelihood of a one-run game so, want we'll to lay the minus one forty five to go along with the over in the spot, and we wrap things up with nine seventy nine, nine eighty on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners a playoffs to the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Braves, and Robbie Ray is on the bump for Seattle. Relative pick'em game. The Atlanta Braves are anywhere between minus 110 to minus 105. And with the Seattle Mariners, find them as good as even money. As bad as the minus 110, 7.5 is the total. The under is minus 120, and the over is even. I didn't mind making the Mariners a minus 121 favorite. Robbie Ray has been significantly better at home than on the road. And the big reason why is the fact that he's just not allowing as many home runs you've got a pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Seattle, and really most of those West Coast ballparks, they do wind up being relatively pitcher-friendly as well, but I do take a look at Robbie Ray and the fact that he's got right around about a 2.80 home area compared to an ERA that is north of 5 on the road, and that is a big, giant issue, as you do have a guy in Charlie Morton on the flip side who he wound up giving up 3-plus runs in 8 out of 11 starts towards the middle part of the season. He was able to shape up since then, and he's been able to give the team right around 10.5, 11 strikeouts per 9 innings So, has been able to do a relatively solid job on that front. But, still has been giving up a little bit over three walks per nine innings. Certainly an issue moving forward for the Sandliner Braves team. But, for the Braves, they do provide a relatively good bullpen behind him. Jackson Stevens, he's been posting up a three ERA. He's able to give you multiple innings. He's fresh off the injured list. A.J. Minter, aside from that Sunday Night Baseball appearance that we wound up seeing against the Cardinals, he's been rock solid for months. Tyler Mazick has been terrific. But, then for the Seattle Mariners, number one bullpen in terms of ERA since the beginning of the month of June. You've got Andres Munoz along Diego Cassio had cataclysmically bad starts to the season. They have really been able to pick it up. And then guys like Penn Murphy, Paul Seawald, Eric Swanson, at providing sub-three ERAs all season long. And then for Seattle, three of guys with at least 21 home runs this season. Cal, Raleigh, El- and Eugenio Suarez, Julio Rodriguez. These guys have been able to do a nice job of moving the line. And then you do have Ty France. He's been able to about a 280. It's been a little bit touch and go with J.P. Crawford. And you do have a couple guys like Kyle Tucker, Abraham Toro towards the bottom of the fold. Not necessarily been too terrific on that front. And for Atlanta, you wind up having Austin Riley cool down just a little bit in recent. Of days, but he had a streak in which he had a home run in five out of six games. He has really been able to ignite for the team as he, Michael Harris the second day, and C. Swanson, only between about a 285 to a 300. Von Grisham has been able to end that fold of about a 300 as well. Ronald Cunha Jr., 375 on base. These guys have been terrific, but I like Robbie Ray a little bit more at home in this spot. I do think that the travel is going to get to Atlanta a little bit. I do think that that home field advantage, it does wind up giving the Mariners an edge and having Robbie Ray at home. Something I trust in on the road would be a little bit of a different story. One, we'll up to a minus 121 with the Seattle Manors. Didn't mind saying my total is 7.7 as well because I do think that there needs to be a lot of respect given to what the Atlanta Braves are doing with their lineup. So, looking at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Seattle Manors. That'll wrap things up for the Friday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. A big thanks to Danny Vietti over there at CBS Sports and the and Ray Podcast for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn if you've got a question. Comment, segment, idea. What I have you for this podcast? If you got one of two ways to go those in. First one is my Twitter timeline. At you, and underscore Keep in mind, let C M. see them. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season.
0: That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow.
5: Thank you so much for tuning in.